Karina LeBlanc is the former Canadian national team goalkeeper amassing 110 caps along the way. A woman I got to know well when she was my assistant coach at Rutgers University. A natural leader, forever engaging. I always pictured great things for Karina. Well, how about this? Recently named the newly created CONCACAF head of women's football. Karina, she'll join us in a moment. Also today, the story of an East Harlem High School student named Jennifer Sosa. At 14 years of age, she was selected to represent Uruguay in the U-17's Women World Cup in Uruguay. Jennifer is a New York City FC Academy player, and her club coach, Osborne Carter, he'll be here to help chart her journey. On July 25th, the Confederation of North, Central America, and Caribbean Association Football, better known as CONCACAF, officially announced the addition of Karina LeBlanc as the head of CONCACAF women's football. Uh, Karina, in 2013, became the first female professional soccer player to be named a UNICEF ambassador. As a player, she represented Canada in five World Cups and two Olympics. Great goalkeeper. Since retiring... She's been a broadcaster, motivational speaker, finding her way and finding her in this position, a newly created position. Karina LeBlanc, it seems like this was created for you. It's perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Um, you know, I, I love it because, like I said, it, I, there's, there was nobody before me. Um, and at the same time, that was the challenge and the, the part that was like, you know, sometimes you have your insecurities come in and be like, Am I ready for this role? But since I've been it, I've loved it. I grow every day. I learn something new every day, and it's just been a great team to be a part of. And yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm exactly where I'm meant to be in this life. So one of your early comments after uh, accepting this position is you uh, said it's a pivotal time for women's football. Why do you say that? I think. It just is. I mean, you just saw recently FIFA double the amount of prize money for the Women's World Cup. Um, women's football, I say football, but uh, because now I'm no longer just a soccer as I go globally. Women's football has truly grown. Its participation numbers are up. I think people are starting to see the value in the marketing commercial side. I think people are starting to see the game that it's, you know, some people always used to say, it's like, oh, I don't want to watch girls play. They can't play. But when, when they give it a chance and they tune in, they really see that the game is the same game. It's just played in a little bit of a different way, and they can appreciate it for what it is. So, And especially with so many different um, conversations coming up and, and empowering women and what women can do, uh, it's a new platform for that as well. So you're uh, in this position and and I'm curious as to what I'm sure it's all encompassing. But what are you what what are you considering uh, the, the major thrust of the job? What's what's your responsibility? What are you hoping uh, to accomplish in this position? Well, that is the big question of every single day. Um, I, no two days have been the same since I've come into this position. I think because it is a new position, a lot of different things are being thrown at me and. I think that's that's what I said. It's the exciting part of, of like of embracing the unknown because one day we're talking about um, football development and how we can get you know more competitions for women, and then for the next conversation, how can we develop the coaches in the women's game, or even again going to the commercialized and marketing side, how can we find a way to to put this game of women's football into a space where people would will actually sponsor and and make it its own entity. 
honestly, it's it's changed. It changes every single day. But I think the biggest thing is is growing the game. Concacaf is forty one different member associations, and if you can imagine, Canada, USA, Mexico have always been the top top tier ones in our region. And then now you fast forward, there's 41 countries. So the conversations I'm having with USA in terms of growing the game are completely different than one of the conversations I'm having in some of our smaller islands. And it's how can we respect all the challenges that are in every single member association and move the dial, even if it's like the small shift. I mean, sometimes it's just having a conversation of how do we convince people in this country that women's soccer and football is not just a money loss, but it's a way of empowering the girls. It's a, it's a way of creating the next prime minister or president. And it's not just about going to a World Cup or an Olympic Games, but it's actually about what you learn as a player, uh, the leadership, the, the confidence to actually just go out in life and say no. The conversations change and are different in every single conversation or call I have. But what's exciting is that people are now willing to pick up the phone and say, how do we grow the women's game on your country, your island, or even like on a global global aspect? Yeah, I would think you, you talk about leadership and some of the uh, lesser countries, uh, the ones that are not uh, as financially stable. Perhaps it's a, a Panama compared to like a United States. But I would think the young ladies uh, in Panama who uh, had a very dejecting experience uh, losing in penalty kicks to Jamaica in the recent CONCACAF uh, World Cup qualifiers, but they still have, an, uh, they still have a chance. But it, mm-hmm. it just seems like you going into a, a country like that, and there are probably other examples, can be really worthwhile in an environment that uh, you really can't compare to the U.S. Yeah, I mean, like I said, sometimes shifting and the dial and starting the conversation with the smallest bit of efforts can make the biggest difference. And I think in these countries, most of these countries, soccer and football is the number one played sport. Like, they're diehards about it. But the conversation shifts when you start talking about the women's game. And for them, it's sometimes just showing the value of the game. I mean, for me, I'm living proof that, you know, sport was a platform for me. I, if you talk to me, I mean, Glenn, even when we worked together and I, I was your amazing assistant coach at Rutgers University, you never would have said, hey, you know, 10 years from now, um, I'm going to be in this position. But it's, again, what the sport provides a platform for you, and especially me as a young girl. I grew up in the Caribbean. I left the Caribbean not knowing I had an athletic bone in my body, and it wasn't until I moved to Canada that, you know, every other girl was playing soccer. And so... I think it's part of just creating a new normal for them and making them see. And I think sometimes I realize that too. Sometimes me having a conversation is so much more than me just talking about the sport, but it's, it's me being that, that black woman where some of these kids on the islands, they see me in themselves. And I think that's where I said it's, 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 it, I, I actually, the job description, it changes from day to day, but sometimes I'm in a position or a situation where I'm like, you know what, this is so much bigger than me. And you see these little girls, and they want something to connect to. They want they want some some type of hope. And talking about like Panama and Jamaica, the, that game Jamaica qualified for the World Cup. They're the first ever Caribbean women's team to qualify for a World Cup. And you had Usain Bolt tweeting, but that's changed the conversation not just in Jamaica, but on the other Caribbean islands because now they're like, wait, we can do that too. 
And that's just, again, the investments are coming in, but making sure the investments are spent in the right way towards the women's gains and creating, creating the conversation where the presidents and the MAs and everyone else and even in the schools. Sometimes the biggest problem we have is where do these girls play the sport? You can play in the club level, but you need like the schools to start playing the game of soccer and football instead of netball or whatever. So that's why I say it changes, but again, it's just growing the game in every way possible. We're with uh, Karina LeBlanc. She's the head of CONCACAF women's football. I'm wondering, Karina, uh, your country, Canada, mine, the United States, uh, those two uh, entities, the women in those programs, the federations, it seems like they could be helpful, uh, not necessarily monetarily, but in a way where imagine if a Megan Rapino traveled with you to uh, one of these other countries and uh, was there also providing support. Are there any, uh, do you have any ideas in regard to how <laughs> players can help players? Of course I do. <laughs> um, that's the thing. Like for me, I, I coming into this position, I already had a million ideas and I think that was, that was a blessing and a curse because everyone kept saying, watch your strategy. And I'm a firm believer of seek first to understand before you want to be understood. And everyone was like, you should have a strategy. Where's your strategy? But if it was a strategy, it would have been my strategy. And I think one of the biggest things is, first of all, to go in and understand what's going on in these different countries. But also, I want to keep more players in the game. I think from coming up myself, there wasn't exactly a, an easy trail of, if I want to stay in the sport, what I need to do. If not everybody wants to be a coach. Maybe there's the administrative side. Maybe there's the referee inside. There's so many different avenues that I think we can help as a confederation to make it so that Megan Rapino, if she wants to get into coaching, perfect. But also, as we talked about when we were at um, our CONCACAF championships, like I asked her what her greatest fear was, and she's like, probably what's next. And, and for many athletes, that next part is the hard, hardest thing because you're trying to figure out how do I connect with something like a connector now? You're the best job in the world. You're playing for your country. You're basically paid to stay fit, which I missed. I missed that part of it because I'm not able to stay as fit these days. <laughs> but where do you go from there? And, and, and for me, the one thing I said to her is that a big part of it is staying connected to living your purpose. And I think women staying in the game, former players staying in the game, even coaches staying in the game, and being that mentor and being that voice um, to the other players. And, and in a way, we are all connected on that. I mean, I spoke with Jalalis um, a couple weeks ago prior to the championships, and I was on the phone with her. And, you know, she, she was saying, I want to help the other coaches in our region. Let's, let's make the game better because just as with any team, you're only as good as your worst players. This is a big team of one CONCACAF. We're only as good as our worst, you know, MA in the women's game. So I think that one of the big things I have is to try to use the players and their voices to, to, to help rise the popularity of the sport across all 41 MAs, but also to inspire and motivate. You, you talked about uh, the CONCACAF Women's Championship a, a couple of times and the, the great story of Jamaica qualifying for the first time, first Caribbean nation to qualify for the World Cup. It'll be in France in 2019. Are there any other uh, enduring stories or events or experiences for you from that championship that really stood out? Uh, I don't know how much time you have. Um, I think for me, it was first of all, it was the first time wearing this hat. 
So it was being neutral, and I even had to say it because I went in and um, when I was able to be in town, I went into each team arrival meeting and introduced myself to the players and staff and, you know, going in front of Canada and saying, hey, guys, remember I'm neutral now? I'm, I'm no longer Canadian or even in front of the Americans being like, hey, guys, hey, I'm here and I am neutral and they all laughed. But I think... I think I think Karina. It's hard for them to believe when you have the Canadian flag painted on your cheeks. It just doesn't work. <laughs> no, I have the Concacaf flag now on my cheeks. But <laughs> I think I did, there's so many stories. I mean, we were talking earlier about the Panama goalkeeper. She she's 17 years old, about to be 18. Bailey's her name, Yann Bailey, and she just started playing goalkeeper maybe a year before uh, her coach shifted her um, playing a year before. And if you watch this young girl, I think she she played such a big role in Panama being in the position they are now, which with one more, if they are able to beat Argentina in this next series, they will go to the World Cup. And I think you just see stories after stories. I mean, I got a chance to speak with some of the players, hear their stories. The Jamaican team, some of those girls, Khadija Shaw, she has an inspiring story where through violence she's lost several of her brothers, but football was her escape. And she talks about how she would, you know, be going to the practice fields and, you know, hearing violence and everything and getting confidence. And now here she is going to a World Cup and she's so humble. And, you know, you ask her her why and she's like, just for younger girls to have hope that if they work hard, anything's possible. You have stories across the board within our region and I think that's what's exciting in my position is that now I want to create platforms that these stories can be told and these stories can be what inspire people who are not just in football, but the mom at home who is struggling through whatever she's going through or, and not even just women, but men to see the power of the game and using these women and their voices as a platform of, of true inspiration that it's not just about what happens on the field, but what happens off the field. Karina, what is, if you could classify your biggest obstacle. Like you said, you came in, you had a thousand ideas. Obviously, you're going to have to prioritize those somehow, and some are going to be denied. Others are going to be <laughs> encouraging. But but what tends to be your biggest obstacle? And I don't want to use the word frustration, but something that's very important to you that's going to be difficult to succeed. I think it's, it's important to, for me, especially to find a bit of patience. Um, because, you know, in the athlete world, you work hard, and if something doesn't work out, you say right away, you're like, okay, what I need to do better to make it better for the next day, and you move forward. And there's, the results are quick. But with here, I, I don't think the results are necessarily always going to be quick. They could happen uh, the next week, but they could be two years from now. I think keeping vision clear that for CONCACAF, it's, it's one CONCACAF. It's all of us and the players first and continuing to put the players first because that's my mindset. It's just to stay focused on, on knowing that at the end of the day, our goal is to make this women's game better, to show the power of the game and put the players in positions where they can succeed. And and the, the true legacy of the women's game is almost like this is the beginning and what the young people get excited about. Well, Karina, you have a supporting arm here. Anytime you need <laughs> something publicized or emphasized, please contact me. Thanks, Glenn. You're always the best. Jennifer Sosa, the angel of the goal. That was the headline in a story published by FIFA.com prior to the start of the U-17 Women's World Cup. Jennifer, she turned 15 years old 
just three days ago. Graduated from the eighth grade last June, and she's competing with a host country, Uruguay, at the U-17 World Cup. They are now two games into group play. The journey for Jennifer has been at times traumatic, at times tumultuous, at times jubilant. All for this young teen who plays her club ball for World Class and the New York City FC Academy. And joining us now is her club coach. He lives in this city. His name is Osborne Carter. Ozzy, wonderful to speak to you about this amazing young lady. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about this name, Angel of the Goal. Uh, (laughs) There was another article from Uruguay, a publication called La Prensa, that used a similar headline with the name Angel. What does that mean? Certainly, uh, when I met Jennifer, she was my angel. And the reason I say that is because uh, in youth soccer, the goalkeeping position is very difficult to fill. It happened that Jennifer had turned up uh, to World Class to try out for another team. And um, not that she wasn't good enough, but um, the coach had made a commitment to that player. And uh, I was in need of a player for my team. And, uh, uh, and Jennifer was the perfect fit. And um, she enhanced uh, that team, made a very competitive team. And uh, following her performances with that team, I suggested that she uh, feature, or rather try out with the um, academy team, which was then being formed. And that's what she did. Now, I read something from her father. This might be part of the angel uh, portion, that mm-hmm. how religious a family they are. And he had and saw the image of an angel come to him before a game that he played. And he played well, so he stuck with the nickname uh, for his daughter. So, Ozzy, uh, so she's become part of the New York City Football Club Academy program, and we've seen her uh, propel to great things. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, East Harlem High School, born in New York, that's where she uh, is a student now. Uh, her parents, Hector and Natalia, they immigrated uh, for a better life uh, from Uruguay to the U.S. And then they had this traumatic happening. Uh, she wasn't in your life at that point, but their house burnt down when she was nine years old, six months in a shelter. Uh, have you ever heard her tell you this story and what it meant to her? Uh, she has. We haven't gotten great detail. I just know that, that those were circumstances which, um, which happened, and uh, I'm aware of it. I've known her for the last couple of years. Um, but uh, I am familiar with uh, uh, this situation that the family had to endure. Do you get any idea of how that experience maybe helped shape her? I mean, we, we coach so many young men and women, Ozzy, who you know, already have everything, maybe not much trauma in their life or adversity. Uh, did you see this tumult as sort of a positive as she moves forward? Yeah, uh, Yes. You know, Jennifer's situation is that uh, it's, difficult and trying. Remember, the um, the parents don't have transportation. They don't have <laughs> resources the way uh, that a, you know, a youth participant in uh, travel soccer today must have. You know, parents who have the um, uh, financial resources to play for uh, tuition, for soccer, plus be able to fly to different venues, all these things. Jennifer lived um, a couple of blocks away from me in New York City uh, housing. And uh, she and uh, her father would walk to um, uh, my address, and I would uh, pick her up there and uh, take her to training. And many instances, uh, Jennifer uh, would have to accommodate, um, or the family would have to accommodate their schedule to mine, which meant, um, you know, being there uh, at training for um, <laughs> double or triple the amount of time that the training session was. 
but they never took anything for granted and extremely grateful for the uh, for the opportunity to have um, been able to participate in um, NYCFC Girls DA. Ozzy, do you get a sense of the passion uh, from her? I mean, she comes from a, yeah. a country where soccer is I, I, is the I, thing. I, yeah, I do. I mean, they're extremely passionate. Um, the father is a former professional goalkeeper who uh, uh, I believe played in Brazil. The uh, father has, he has two other younger children, um, has taken the family to Randall's um, to practice on their own. And, um, and as I said, the kind of commitment um, that they have, uh, that Jennifer has to try and uh, remain with the DA and play for the DAs is, is enormous. And as you indicated in your forward, she's so very young, so in theory she could make the next cycle of the U-17 World Cups. Well, at 13, she was invited to Uruguay uh, to train with the national teams. That was her first camp at 13. Ozzy, can you tell us about her as a goalkeeper? Yeah, um, Jennifer has got uh, good feet. Um, she's a lefty. She's got a decent kick. Um, can you know? Can kick out of her hands well. Um, if there's one thing that perhaps you know, it's a, um, we're just hopeful that she'll grow <laughs> uh, to be a commanding player. But that can happen. She's very young, um, but she's very. She reacts very quickly. She's got good reflexes. Um, she knows the game, um, and she's uh, you know she's. Uh, Terrific addition for our for our um, DA squad, and um, but there's no doubting her passion for the game. I mean, it's it's just endemic uh, to her, um, as it is to all Uruguayans. You know, they're just feverish, you know, about soccer, and Jennifer is um, illustrative of that, of that. I'm sure the nerves were at a peak. Uh, she started the opener against Ghana. Now, the result didn't go well, appeared to be a struggle. Didn't see the game. I don't know if you've had any communication with her since. Second match closer against New Zealand, but also a loss. Uh, that game played on Jennifer's 15th birthday. So what can you tell us about her experience thus far there? Um, I haven't spoken to her directly. I did see the game on television, and unfortunately uh, she got, you know, clobbered into and 20, 25 minutes into the first game against Ghana and uh, was stretched off and um, pursuant to FIFA protocol, which I understand, you know, she was out seven days, so obviously missed, um, um, you know, the uh, ensuing game against New Zealand, uh, which would um, they needed to have won to stand any chance of being able to go through this from the group stages. Well, Jennifer told FIFA.com, quote, it will be emotional, but we've really prepared for this day, meaning the first game. Our aim is to win the first game, to get through to the next round, and then we'll see. We're all dreaming about lifting the trophy and helping to raise the profile of women's football here. That's not going to happen, but that last line, raising the profile of women's football here, that's a pretty mature statement for a 15-year-old. Yes, absolutely. I think uh, what what follows of the youth game should um, look to is that um, – you know, some of these other uh, federations don't have the resources to commit that way. And uh, I know in Jennifer's instance, they did travel. Um, and, um, you know, the Uruguayan team, I just think, is devoid of experience of what it is to uh, compete on this level. And that will happen as they participate more. And, um, um, you know, they're more, more experienced um, at featuring in World Cup tournament play like this. And um, I think, uh, you know, the old attitudes of, you know, of there being a, uh, you know, a lack of resources to uh, to the female game, to the women's game. You know, those days are, are, are ebbing, 
and that what we're going to see is that um, you know teams from South America being able to compete, um, it, you know, with the traditions of the men, you know, because um, uh, you know what I noticed about the Uruguayan team was that um, you know they have an idea of how to play. It's just whether the experience of the physicality and the uh, the energy of some other teams they don't haven't encountered, so it was a little bit of a shock. But uh, certainly, uh, I know they prepared as much as they could. Uh, went to China, um, were in residence for like you know several months, so they did what they could. But sometimes it's just a question of uh, actually, you know, um, uh, uh, playing in these environments because when you get there, there's a whole lot <laughs> another set of pressure, you know. As you compete, and then being the host nation, you know um, that's you know that's tough. Yeah, that's enormous. Uh, yes. Ozzy, uh, final question: mm-hmm. She ha- she was born in the states, so yes. she has the opportunity to uh, ultimately play and represent either the United States of America or Uruguay. Do you have any uh, feel for which? Obviously, it looks like she's leaning towards her parents' home country. Uh, where there's certainly a lot of emotion attached to that, or is this something that will progress along the way and that decision is yet to be made? Um, I think it's um, realistically a decision that has to be made, you know, to a feature in the World Cup. And uh, if I'm correct, the youth, uh, U-17 World Cup is every two years, so she should make the next cycle if everything, you know, you don't get hurt or, or Uruguay qualifies, whatever. And that's not a bad position. Usually people just make one cycle and that's it. But uh, to be in a position to play two, and um, you know she'll be a uh, you know big help if that's the case, um, whether it's with Uruguay or you know um, even if ultimately uh, the states perhaps calls her up, I don't know. Yeah, well, she's talked about being a, a pro footballer, uh, but also yeah. wants to study architecture in the U.S. Uh, uh-huh. Her quote there from the FIFA.com article: "I like art, drawing, uh-huh. and building things, and football won't be forever." And each time she visits Uruguay. She takes a, a kit, a, a equipment, boots from world class in New York City to give to her father's hometown, Club Ranches de Melo, and, uh-huh. and their team. So that's the story of Jennifer Sosa. Ozzy, uh, so nice of you to come on and share these things with us and uh, continued success. And, uh, and we'll uh, chart the progress of Jennifer Sosa. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you for having me. For the New York City FC first team, still no definitive word on David Villa. One more year for the captain or not? He did put this tweet out to supporters on Monday morning. Quote, after taking a few days to reflect, I wanted to apologize to all NYCFC fans for not achieving our objective this season. I want to thank you for the unconditional support that you gave us this year. You have, again, been the cornerstone of our club. Tati Castellanos posted a photo with Via. Both were holding a signed Via jersey with a personal note to my friend Tati with affection. Joe at JM8999 tweeted, Tati getting a signed shirt? Is he leaving NYC? And then there's the Instagram posted by Ismail to Jerry Shradi. This is a bit more revealing. Izzy and Aloy Amagat pictured walking to Yankee Stadium before a game Dressed sharp in their travel suits, Izzy's note to Amagat on the Instagram, quote, it was a short period, my friend, but you are one of the best persons I've ever met in my life. Such a kind person and professional footballer. So the 33-year-old Amagat will not be resigned. 
the rest of the personnel news for New York City expected to be officially released within the week. And on the next episode of Soccer City, a chat with pro footballer Giuseppe Rossi. And he told us his passion for the game was not easily matched in his neighborhood growing up in New Jersey. It was tough to have pickup games because nobody really wanted to play soccer when I was younger. I remember I was um, on my bike one time and I, I wanted to play a pickup game in the park with my friends. I'm riding around all over Clifton, New Jersey, trying to recruit players. And maybe out of the 10 homes that I went to, everybody didn't want to come play just because they didn't really like the sport or they didn't feel like they were good enough to play. So um, after a two-hour search, I go back in my backyard. I call over my father. I call over my sister. And... Um, and we had a little uh, mini pickup game in the backyard, which was always fun. Rossi, the former striker for Manchester United, Villarreal, Fiorentina, and most recently Genoa. He's been training with the New York Red Bulls for the last six months, and his return to the pro ranks is imminent. But where? Well, you're going to have to wait till next week. And that'll do it for Soccer City. I'm Glenn Crooks. Be safe, and here's to a very happy Thanksgiving.